When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's just such an integral part of my life to sleep well, just sleep as well as I can possibly sleep because that will naturally reduce my stress and anxiety. It will control my body fat. It will give me energy, clarity, focus. And candidly, it will just help me feel happier about my whole life. Welcome to the Unwind Podcast, a podcast for you to relax, drift off and allow your mind to wander. I'm your host, Poppy Jamie a best-selling author, entrepreneur, and researcher on a mission to share information that will help you live happier, healthier, and with more love, optimism, and wisdom. This podcast features interviews with well-known guests and world-leading experts about what it truly means to be human and what we can do to become the very best versions of ourselves. On today's Unwind, I am speaking to James Swanick, an Australian-American entrepreneur who is also an investor, speaker, journalist, and former sports anchor. James is a sleep expert and co-founded the popular health brand Swanee's Sleep, which produces blue light blocking glasses to improve well-being and sleep quality. The company has sold hundreds of thousands of pairs of Swanee's glasses, which are worn by pro athletes to leading professionals and recommended by some of America's top sleep doctors. James is a well-known coach who focuses on helping people to improve their lives and performance by reducing alcohol. He is the author of the 30-Day No Alcohol Challenge and the creator of Project 90, an online program providing support and coaching for individuals who are looking to eliminate alcohol from their lives. He also hosts the very successful Alcohol-Free Lifestyle Podcast. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the power of blocking out blue light before sleep and dive into James's passionate work around reducing alcohol consumption. I find James deeply inspirational and I hope you will too. Would you mind sharing a piece of writing that resonates with you? Yeah, there's a poem by Rudyard Kipling called If, and it's all about being a man. It's a father kind of giving his words of wisdom to his son. And there are many lines in the poem which resonate with me, but I particularly like, if you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss and lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss. I love that part because it kind of says to me, don't be boasting about all of your accomplishments and don't be complaining or whining when things don't go particularly well. So it's kind of a good reminder to me about being in control of my emotions and being a man and being stoic and uh, really resonated with me. It's really interesting because I feel that maybe in the last 10 years, Instagram, which is so dominant in our culture, really encourages the opposite. It's this quite kind of boastful, bragging behavior that it endorses. And 
what an extremely opposite quote to where current culture I feel is moving. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I'm in alignment with you. I agree. And I grew up in Australia. You know, I have an Australian accent. I'm Australian American. But I lived in America for about 16, 17 years. And I remember when I first moved there in the early 2000s, and I started listening to some of the lyrics of songs that were coming out. And one of the songs was, you know, I want to be a billionaire, so freaking bad. I was thinking, wow, that's not the culture I grew up in. And everyone was kind of boasting about their wealth and about their accomplishments. And every, not every American, but the American culture seemed to be very much like, here's my success, here's what I've accomplished, here's how much money I make. And all of the advertising is, oh, you know, I did, I have a multi-million dollar business. We did $7 million last year. It's all of this, I don't know if it's boasting, big noting might be another phrase for it. And it really kind of was quite jarring for me growing up in the Australian culture where it was like, just be humble, don't be exaggerating, don't be kind of talking about your successes too much. But then also in Australia, you can also not be boastful enough sometimes that you can also downplay your your achievements. They call it tall poppy syndrome in Australia, where if you get too big for your boots, people will come in and, and smack you down. But you also should talk about your accomplishments, but in a more appropriate way, I think. What's a life lesson you've been reminded of recently and why? I have a few different businesses. A couple of them do very well. And one of them really struggled in 2022 at the beginning of the year. Struggled in a way where at one point I was feeling like we might go bankrupt and I was facing a very hefty debt. I won't say the exact figure, but let's say it was in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. It was a really challenging time, really challenging time. We got into some cash flow challenges and uh, we made a few poor strategic decisions and just cumulatively all of a sudden, I looked at the books one day and went, wow, we're in trouble here, and I'm on the hook for hundreds of thousands of dollars if this thing goes south. I realized that I was the signer on credit cards, and I was the one who was liable for debts, and you know, I really carried that financial burden and the emotional burden as well. But what I learned in the process was, even though I was felt like I was in the depths of despair for probably three or four weeks, it was about a month there where I was like, how am I going to get out of this? We did get out of it. And it wasn't like this big, dramatic turnaround after a month. It was just slowly chipping away at it over several months. And now it's 11 months later, and we've just turned 11 months of profit. And all of those debt problems that we had and the cash flow challenges we had have all evaporated. And it, it did take 11 or 12 months. And I remember at the time being so overwhelmed that this might take 12 months to get out of and just thinking, a year, a whole year, I'm going to be in this prison. Oh, my God. Oh, this is just awful. And it was that's, that was what my mindset was at the time. Or, oh, my God, we're going to have to go bankrupt and these are the ramifications of that and everything's like dominoes, everything's going to fall apart. So coming to the lesson, the lesson I learned out of it was that the time is going to pass anyway. One year is going to happen. And so... I just looked at it as like, okay, I'm just going to do the best I can every single day and I'm going to just chip away, chip away, chip away and trust that it's going to get better. And you know what? It did. So the lesson was when something seemingly awful is happening in the moment, yes, it's natural to feel that, but also try to take a step back and go, you know what? It's okay. 
we're going to get out of this. We're just going to do it systematically. We're going to chip away. And if it takes 12 months or 24 months, we're going to do it because the time is going to pass anyway. So let's just do our best and just follow the process and just keep going. So I'm actually surprised now, almost 12 months later, that we have turned it around as well as we have. And I look back and I go, wow, actually 12 months in the broad scope of your life isn't really a long time, even though it seems like a long time when everything is falling apart. What habits or tools do you think helped you get through the last 12 months? It was letting go of my ego and reaching out to friends and acquaintances to ask for help and support. So the habit was get out of my own way, get out of my ego and just call people and be honest and open and transparent and just say, hey, here's the problem. I've got myself into some trouble here. And especially for some men, that's a really challenging thing to do. And also I have somewhat of a public persona I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a, like a Z-level kind of known person, I guess, you know. I've got a, a modest Instagram account, but I have a podcast. I've hosted a television show in the past. And so what I've noticed over the years is that people have a perception of me that's maybe much bigger and grander than what I have of, of myself. And so people are always looking at me, it seems, going, wow, James is so successful. He's got these businesses and all of this stuff. And, oh, that's incredible. Wow, you're really crushing it. Everyone's like, wow, you're crushing it. And I think the habit that really helped me was just letting go of the ego and people's perception that I'm crushing it and just conceding and acknowledging to people that I actually was not crushing it and that I was going through a challenging time. And that created real connection with the people that I revealed that to. And what I found is that those people really stepped up and supported me, whether it was just connecting me to someone else or whether it was just giving me some advice or whether it, they couldn't give me an advice or a connection, but they were just sympathetic. That was sometimes enough for me to just talk it through and have someone be a sounding board. So that really helped. And then a couple of other practical things that helped was I journaled many days it would be an exaggeration for me to say that I journaled every day, but I did journal many days and I tried to rewire my brain each day and write down 20 things that I was grateful for. I actually call it the daily 20. And when I forced myself to write down 20 things I was grateful for, even though I was going through kind of what felt like hell at the time, it helped to rewire my, my brain and activate my reticular activating system, which is a set of nerves in the brain which focuses in on those things that you're constantly thinking about. So the fact that I wrote down 20 things I was grateful for just naturally helped me to see other things that I should be grateful for. And that really did help reduce a lot of my stress and anxiety. I wouldn't say that it eliminated it because I would still wake up in the middle of the night stressed and anxious about how am I going to get myself out of this. But just being able to journal and write those things down certainly reduced the frequency and reduce the severity, I guess, of that stress and anxiety. To go back to your point on being able to surrender the ego, what you've just shared is such remarkable story of vulnerability, which again is a word I think we talk about a lot, but sometimes miss the true meaning of it. What do you think has changed in your life in order for you to, in a way, have that confidence to be that vulnerable? Candidly, I enrolled in four back-to-back self-development programs in 2017 where I just 
was in a phase of my life where I'd had some success, but in other areas, I still felt very unhappy. In some relationships, I felt a bit disconnected to my parents, even though my parents and I would probably say we have a great relationship. I felt like when I was catching up with them, I was just exchanging facts like, oh, this is what I'm doing. How are you? What are you doing? There wasn't any real depth or substance to my communication with them. And even though I was at the time achieving you know, a comfortable level of financial success and certainly people's perception was that I was doing well, I still couldn't quite really appreciate it. There was always this something that's not quite right. And this had been going on for a couple of years and I was frustrated. And so I looked at some self-development programs and I couldn't choose which one I was going to do. And so I said, you know what, I'm just going to do four of them back to back. And the scheduling worked out pretty well. So I did four self-development programs over the space of, I think, three and a half weeks. And it was brutal in the sense that they (laughs) chip away at you. They chip away, chip away, chip away. They chipped away at my ego and they had me making phone calls to friends and having heartfelt conversations with my parents and making calls to people and saying sorry and identifying how I created this persona of James Swanick. Who is James Swanick and how did I create this persona of me and why do I go to the gym and work out and why do I eat certain ways and why do I have I rejected the lifestyle or the culture of my native country Australia to go overseas why did I do that and why am I into health and wellness and why am I so triggered when my mum says things like when are you going to settle down James (laughs) or why am I so triggered when my dad sighs about Australian politics You know, all these kind of little things that kind of were irritating me or I was getting triggered by in my life. And so I went through these three and a half, four weeks of self-development and really had a deep, close look at who I am and why I do the things I do. And it felt like running through rose bushes at times, getting cut up and bloodied. But at the end of it, I came out the other side and it was just beautiful. All of a sudden, I was like, wow, I've just been associating meaning to my whole life. And now I just realize there is no meaning to anything except the meaning that I'm assigning to it. And that was a beautiful energy and knowledge to step into. And then since then, I wouldn't say that I'm skipping down the street, singing songs every day going, my life is amazing. But Sometimes it is. Sometimes it feels that way. And generally speaking, I have less stress, less irritability, less worry, generally. Of course, I had that, you know, four weeks of stress and anxiety with the business earlier in 2022. But overall, since I did those self-development programs, I did the inner work, my life just feels infinitely better. And that has helped me to lower that ego and to be more empathetic and to be more vulnerable, I guess, is the word that you used. Interesting. And it's amazing to hear these courses actually can be super effective. Sleep has been a huge element to your life. And obviously, you've built a business around helping people get a better night's sleep. Why is sleep something you care about? And how did these blue light glasses, which have become a global phenomena, come to be? I stopped drinking alcohol in 2010 for lifestyle reasons. I wasn't an alcoholic. I wasn't getting arrested. I wasn't getting DUIs. I was a socially acceptable drinker in that I would have a couple of drinks per night or a few nights of the week. There were some weekends where I might get drunk for fun, but generally I was just what people would say, normal drinker. But when I stopped drinking 
in 2010, it opened up a cascade of other healthy habits. And I started educating myself on sleep quality and nutrition and exercise, things that I didn't really pay that much attention to before I stopped drinking. And then over the years, as I became more educated in that, I started spending time with health and wellness people, people who were really into health and wellness and fitness. And how my interest in sleep really came about was in 2015, I was in Palm Springs, California, and I was with some friends and we were in a a resort hotel restaurant. And my friend came to dinner wearing a really ugly pair of Uvex orange safety goggles, the kind of safety goggles that you might wear if you were mowing the lawn or, or you know doing some gardening to protect your eyes from flying stones. And I looked at him and I said, what are you wearing? You look ridiculous and you're making me look ridiculous by association. And he said, no, man, I'm trying to block the blue light. And I said, block the blue light? What are you talking about? And he went on to explain that artificial light at night from restaurant lights, the microwave light, the bathroom light, the kitchen light, the computer light, the screen on your phone suppresses our melatonin release. And that shows up as uh, having compromised sleep quality and not being able to sleep as long. I trusted what he said because he was a, he was like a biohacker and really into this kind of stuff. So I went back to Los Angeles where I was living at the time and I dug out an old pair of ski goggles that had an orange-yellow lens to them. And cool. I started wearing these ski goggles at night while I was watching reruns of the TV series Mad Men. <laughs> and what I found is when I was wearing these ski goggles and watching the show, I couldn't get through a full episode without getting really sleepy and almost nodding off. Whereas before, when I was just staring into the screen at nighttime watching Mad Men, I would just complete the show and then, you know, still be somewhat alert. So I was like, wow, there's something to this. I did notice also that when I did remove the goggles and went to sleep, I did fall asleep quicker. And when I woke up in the morning, I realized that actually my sleep quality had been better. So the idea came to me, how do I produce a stylish pair of blue light blocking glasses that don't make me look like a meth chemist (laughs) and really protect my eyes while watching TV late at night and etc. And so that's how Swannies were born. Swannies is the name of our blue light blocking glasses. The company is called Swanick Sleep. My last name is Swanick. And we, we were really the first stylish pair of blue light blocking glasses to hit the market late 2015, early 2016. Since then, that company's done a scientific study with the University of Washington, which showed that people who wear the blue light blocking glasses from our brand, Swanick, sleep on average 12% better and that they have a a close to 15% increase in productivity the day after they use the glasses. Wow. So... Because the glasses were a, a smash hit, sort of early 2016, late 2016, I thought I'd better educate myself even more on sleep. And so I interviewed every sleep doctor and read every book and became somewhat of a sleep expert. And now it's just such an integral part of my life to sleep well, to sleep as well as I can possibly sleep because that will naturally reduce my stress and anxiety. It will control my my body fat it will give me energy clarity focus and candidly it'll just help me feel happier about my my whole life Mm 
many of us are in those cold winter months and my latest secret to unwind and relax is Stove. Stove is the company that creates the best heated chair covers and cordless heated cushions to keep you warm and cozy sustainably with infrared heated technology. Stove is like a warm hug and it not only warms you up, it's environmentally friendly and saves you money. It's quite genius if I'm being honest. I've noticed that using my stove is far more efficient form of heating as it warms just me, making sure I'm always snug and comfortable instead of needing to heat my whole room, meaning I can turn my thermostat down those extra few degrees. Even as I chat to you right now, I'm cuddled up with my stove fluffy infrared blanket. So if you're interested in cozying up this cold season with a warm stove, just head to their website, uk.stove.com, and I'll put that in the show notes to see everything they have on offer. They have plenty of different colors and fabrics to suit your style. Also, very excitingly, I have 10% offer for you. Simply enter the code UNWIND at checkout. It's the perfect reason to unwind during this cold season. 
I'm still kind of walking around my home. I'm maybe brushing my teeth in the bathroom light. So I put on a pair of the orange lens blue light blocking glasses. And what that does is the blue light does not trigger my pineal and pituitary gland, which then suppresses melatonin production. So wearing the glasses now, my melatonin can be released. I start to feel sleepy. My body starts to wind down. And then ultimately I will get into bed. I'll turn off the bedside lamp. And then in the dark, I'll remove the glasses and put them on my bedside table. And then I will effortlessly, most of the time, fall asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up in the morning feeling nice and refreshed. So that's the difference between when you would wear a pair of clear lens glasses and when you would wear a pair of the orange lens glasses. I'm sure everyone is aware, but would you mind explaining a little bit of the role of melatonin? Well, melatonin is the the hormone that helps our body to repair through the night to restore itself, to sleep. It's so vital for our bodies to be put into that state where the healing takes place. If we don't sleep well, if our body's not naturally producing sufficient melatonin, then we have trouble falling asleep, we toss and turn in the night, or even if we sleep seven or eight hours, the quality of that sleep is compromised, which is why... Many people, when they wake up in the morning, even if they've knocked out eight hours of sleep, they still feel tired and lethargic. And when you're tired and lethargic, that means you tend to eat a sugary food to give you a bit of an energy boost Mm. that then gives you a a crash later on in the afternoon. And so now you're like, oh, man, I just need to have a chocolate bar or something just for a little pick-me-up. And then, of course, that spikes your glucose, sugar levels. Then you have another crash. And then, of course, there's like, oh, geez, I just need to have a glass of wine just to relax after a long, hard day. And the cycle continues, right? And then, of course, you drink a glass of wine, which is filled with toxins and also filled with sugar. And then you go to sleep. The body cannot be in that repair, restorative phase because your body's now going to work to try to get rid of the toxins and get rid of the sugar and to get rid of all that kind of stuff. So melatonin is absolutely critical to enabling your body to rest. Another point you mentioned about the beginning of your journey, and I really want to ask you about your book, The 30-Day No Alcohol Challenge. And I'm really interested in your interest in helping people reduce their alcohol intake, especially as it sounds like you didn't have too much of a problem with it. As you said, you were a social drinker. How then, if this was never a problem per se, did it become something that you feel passionately about helping people to reduce and writing a book about? Well, look, I wouldn't say that it was a I've got to go to rehab problem, but it was a problem. It was a problem. So I want to be clear. It was a problem. I identified it was a problem in that my socially acceptable drinking habits had caused me to put on about 20 pounds of unwanted weight. My sleep wasn't great. I was tired. When I would drink, even if it was a glass of wine or a seemingly innocent beer, I was more likely to order fries with my meal if I was eating in a a restaurant. I was more likely to have a dessert at night. I came to learn later on that the closer to bedtime that you drink, the worse your sleep will be because you're just pouring toxins into your body and now your body has to go to work during sleep as opposed to just resting during sleep. Interesting. And I was irritable. I wasn't focused. I would describe my my life as feeling like a six out of ten. 
wasn't five, wasn't a four, wasn't rock bottom. But it was like a six. I was just like phoning it in. My life was just blah. So when you say, oh, James, you said you're, like, you're drinking really wasn't a problem. It was a problem. It just wasn't the type of problem that most of society would automatically think is related to drinking. Most people, when someone thinks someone's got a drinking problem, they go, oh, my God, they're drinking. Like it's drinking and getting passed out. They're getting DUIs. They're getting arrested. They're waking up in a ditch. But for me, the problem was mediocrity. The problem was just not excelling in any area of my life, not in my health, not in my finances, not in my relationships. So that really was the inspiration for stopping. Now, I figured out a way to stop and most importantly to stay stopped, right? Because quitting drinking and staying quit are two completely different skill sets. But, you know, I got to 30 days. I'd lost uh, 13 pounds of fat. I slept better. I auditioned to become a a sports center anchor on ESPN and I got the job and I credit the clarity and focus from being alcohol free to helping me get that job. So after 30 days, I was like, damn, this is actually pretty good. I think I might see if I can do 40 days. And then I got to 40 days. I thought, well, I've just joined the gym and I'm starting to work out. This is kind of fun. I'll just see if I can get to 50 days. And I just kept pushing it out. And then I got to one year alcohol free. And I actually went to a bar, I was in Austin, Texas, and I went to order a Bud Light to have a celebratory drink. And just before I went to drink, something popped into my mind and it was, well, hang on, James, one year alcohol free, you've landed a dream job, you've lost the 20 pounds, you've got a tremendous romantic relationship, your friendships are amazing, you're healthy, your energy, you're sleeping great. Why don't you just keep going? And so I actually handed the beer back to the barman who served me the drink. I paid him for it and gave him a tip. And I walked out of there and I literally have not had a drink of alcohol since 2010, not one drop. And how that turned into helping people is that in 2015, I was going to all these Hollywood Hills parties and they were all open bars. And I went to an Oscars after party, Elton John's Oscars party in Beverly Hills. And there were all the celebrities there and open bars. And people were shocked that I wasn't drinking. I was having a fabulous time. People got to know me and they're like, how do you go to these things with the open bars in Hollywood Hills parties and not drink and have fun? Because I got asked that question so much, I just thought maybe I could develop a program to help people to stop for a little while just to help them. And so that's what I did. I created this program called the 30-Day No Alcohol Challenge. It's still going today. You can find it at 30daynoalcoholchallenge.com. And then I wrote the book to accompany that challenge. And then fast forward 2018, I then created a, a, a high-level stop drinking program, which helps high achievers, you know, entrepreneurs, executives, folks in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s who are not alcoholics, who don't need to go to e- rehab, who don't want to go to AA, but they do want to stop drinking. And so I developed this program and this process. And uh, in 2023, The University of Washington and the University of Florida are actually conducting a joint scientific study on our process because we have a 92% success rate of getting folks to at least 90 consecutive days alcohol-free. And these universities want to figure out how the heck we're doing it because by comparison, AA has a 7% success rate. And rehab has less than a 5% success rate. So I feel very confident that our process is the most effective stop drinking process on the planet that I know of so far. And I'm hoping and I'm confident that the universities are going to find out why and prove that as well through this study in 2023. 
Why do you think intuitively the process you have put together is so successful? Because we introduce habits like the daily 20. Because we introduce habits like sleep hygiene, because we have our clients focusing on the future as opposed to lamenting the past, because we have people choosing an alcohol-free lifestyle as opposed to saying no to alcohol, because we use the latest neuroscience as opposed to faith-based treatments, let's say. So, for example, in AA, one must surrender to a higher power and concede that they are powerless over alcohol. And I call BS on that. I think that's a bunch of nonsense. Yeah. It's a controversial view for many, but I have been doing this now since 2015 and I have enough anecdotal evidence to suggest that having to surrender to a higher power and having to concede that you are powerless over alcohol is completely ineffective. Whereas the data shows that when you choose something as opposed to saying no to something, the brain finds it so much easier to achieve the end result. So if you say, don't drink, I can't drink, I've got to stop drinking, I need to stop drinking, well, well, now you're telling the brain what not to do. And and the brain gets confused. It's like, oh, okay, don't smoke, don't drink, don't eat dessert and what happens we end up smoking drinking and eating dessert because we're focusing on it whereas if you do what i call a flipperoonie and you choose to drink soda water ice and a piece of lime or you choose to only eat healthy food or you choose to have a positive mindset you're no longer thinking about desserts or drinking or negativity you're choosing something and so those kind of differences seem to make just a massive difference in the results of people, uh, whether they're stuck drinking or whether they finally break the back of drinking. I think even this explains a little bit why coaching can be more effective for people than therapy with this kind of where are we focusing our attention to the future or lamenting the past that can bring up shame, guilt, regret, especially obviously we can't change it. What is your relationship then with making peace with the past and at the same time really focusing on building a better future? Well, making peace with the past is very different to lamenting the past. Because how many of us, myself included, get stuck in regret? Oh, if only I did this. Oh, I should have done this. Oh, I've made so many mistakes. Oh, this is awful. And we make it mean something. We make it mean that we're no good or we're unlovable or we're sloppy, or we're ineffective, right? We make all this mean something. And so we just constantly are regretting all of these choices and these decisions that we've made, and we're lamenting. Have you ever woken up in the morning and just thought to yourself, wow, I thought I'd be further along than this? Yeah. And that's lamenting. That's lamenting the past. It's like, oh, there's something wrong. Because our expectations were here, and we're actually here, and so we have a sense of loss, between our expectations and where we actually are. And that causes stress and anxiety and depression and drinking and smoking and not sleeping well and porn addiction and over-shopping and love addiction and being obsessed with work. All of it, all of that comes from lamenting the past because you thought you were going to be here and you're actually here and you have a sense of loss. 
that is highly ineffective for whatever transformation you are wanting to make. But if you can do a flip and make peace with that and just recognize there's no loss. What happened is what happened. You know what happened? I did this. That's what happened. Okay. That's what happened. I drank too much. I got drunk. I got arrested. I got sent to prison. I cheated on my wife, my husband. I got a divorce. And you go, okay, that's what happened. Instead of, oh my God, my life is over. I got a divorce and I did all this kind of stuff. I don't want to play down the significance of this in people's lives. I realize people have gone through traumatic events, but if we can just look at it and go, that's what happened through a neutral lens as opposed to that's what happened and I'm going to make it mean that I'm terrible and I suck and everything's awful, there's a big, big difference to that. So I'm kind of like go through life now most of the time, or at least I'm trying to practice this. It's like, it is what it is. That's what happened. Okay, that's what happened. Now what am I going to do? I'm going to do this. Okay, great. And so I'm looking at life through a lens of neutrality as opposed to looking at life through a lens of, man, I messed things up. So that's the fundamental shift in perception. And that word perception is key, by the way, because it's all perception as to whether something is good or bad or neutral. It's just how you perceive the event. You got a divorce, one person goes, I got a divorce, it's awful. I never thought I'd get a divorce. Another person gets a divorce and goes, yes, I got a divorce. I'm so happy. Ah, oh, this is the best. What happened? The same thing. Same thing happened. You got a divorce. But two people look at it through a completely different lens. And do you have any other tools to help change that lens? Because I feel that it sometimes can be just the hardest thing to be able to see the same situation through a different way because our emotions feel so strongly to how we are interpreting that situation? Well, first thing is self-awareness. It's being aware that your emotions are coming up and it's just being with the emotions. It's not judging the emotions, right? It's like when I was going through that, that challenge earlier in the year, I had the emotion of dread. And then I had the, the sense of loss because, wow, I thought the business was going to be up here and now it's actually way down here. But... I'd done enough personal development to be aware of that and just be with it. It doesn't mean that I didn't feel the dread. I did feel the dread, but I was like, oh, okay, I'm feeling the dread. And then I started to unpack that. Why am I feeling the dread? Okay, where's that coming from? Where am I feeling it in my body? Okay, I feel stressed. I've got a headache. I feel nervous. All right, is anything bad really happening? Or is this just a perception that something bad is happening? Okay, it's a perception. Nothing bad's really happening. The only thing that's happening is that you're probably a few hundred thousand dollars in debt and you might go bankrupt. That doesn't sound very good, but can I look at that and just go, ah, that's what's happening. Let me be with that. Let me be with that. What's the worst that can happen? Well, the worst thing that can happen is that you lose all your money and then you're out on the street. What's the likelihood that I'm going to be out on the street? Very, very low because I have a family and I've got friends and I've got savings. I've got. Am I really going to be homeless and really going to be on the street? No. Okay. So that's the worst thing that can happen. All right. Am I okay with the worst thing that can happen? Okay. So basically, I'm just sharing with you here the thought process that's going on in my head. And it's, it's kind of being aware. I am not my emotions. I'm the person observing my emotions. So it's kind of separating yourself. It's not like, oh, I'm useless. It's, oh, I'm noticing that I'm feeling like I'm useless. It's not like, this is bad, this is bad. It's like, oh, I'm noticing myself trying to convince myself this is bad. 
Because actually, nothing that was happening was bad. The only thing that was happening was that there was something happening. And it was my story and my perception that it was bad. Just removing yourself one step from that and observing yourself experiencing that pain and going, oh, I can see myself experiencing the pain. I can see myself telling myself this is a bad situation is enough to diffuse that a lot of that stress and anxiety. And as you said, this process of what you've just taken us through, that quite stoic thought pattern where you can really diffuse in such a healthy way. This obviously is so much easier to do when we have the energy to do it, when we're kind of hungover, super tired, haven't slept. That process of being able to take us to the worst place could be unreachable, actually, without the life force energy behind it. I'm interested on the alcohol point, because as you said, if you have a drink in the evening, your body actually then spends the night filtering your system out. So I'm just really interested to ask about what is the lesser known effects that alcohol has on our health? And why do you think our society is one that is pretty obsessed with trying to give someone a drink at all moments? Well, to answer the second question first, cultural conditioning is rampant where from a very young age when you grew up, you saw mummy and daddy having a glass of wine or having a beer at the dinner table and they said, "Mm -mm -mm, not for you, only when you're older. When you're older, you can have a drink. And so they were conditioning you as a child that drinking alcohol was something to be desired and that it's a rite of passage and that one day you get to drink this attractively packaged poison. (laughs) So it's cultural conditioning, right? That's built up over many, many years where you get to 15, 16, 17, 18, it's now, let me drink. Do you remember the first drink you ever had? It probably tasted foul, right? It probably tasted like poison. And you kind of like spat it out and went, oh, that's because it is poison. But then cultural conditioning comes in and, and like the word suggests, conditions us to want to drink it. And then people are smiling as they're drinking it, which is conditioning us on an unconscious level to believe that drinking this poison is actually creating connection and a bond and community to the point where if someone offers you a glass of attractively packaged poison and you politely decline, their face kind of changes and go, why not? Go on, (laughs) just have one. You'll be fine. Go on, drink this poison. It's like the waiters and the waitresses when they greet you at a restaurant and they take you over to, the, to, to your table and they sit you down and they come over and they've got a big smile on their face and they go, hello, my name's John or my name's Sally and I'm going to be your server tonight and welcome. Can I get you started with some drinks? And these smiling assassins <laughs> are literally giving you a menu going, would you like cocktails? Would you like some red wine? Would you like some beer? And they're smiling at you. That's cultural conditioning. And it just goes on and on and on. That's why people find it so challenging to stop this thing because everybody is smiling as they're drinking this attractively packaged poison. But not many of them are waking up smiling after a night of even just one or two drinks. They're like, oh, God, I shouldn't have had those one or two drinks in the morning. Yeah. I don't remember the first part. Oh, the first part of your question was what are the effects of alcohol? Well, alcohol has been linked to cancer, obesity, depression, The American Cancer Association came out in 2021 and advised that zero amount of alcohol is best if you want to limit your chances of getting any kind of cancer. The studies that came out in the 70s or 80s that claimed that a drink a day was good for your heart health have been debunked so many times now. It's out of control. 
There was a study that came out of the UK in April of 2022, where they did a study of about 10,000 or so middle-aged UK adults aged 50 plus, and they all drank one glass of alcohol per night, right? Just one, seven standard drinks per week. And what they found is that that was enough to destroy the gray and white matter in their brains. Another way of saying that is brain damage. It caused brain damage just from one seemingly innocent glass of attractively packaged poison per night. Wow. That's it. And yet the whole world is going, oh, one drink's fine. Just have one drink. It's okay. It helps me get to sleep. Does it help you get to sleep? Okay. It might help put you to sleep. That is true. But the quality of your sleep is going to be so severely compromised that you will not spend as much time in that deep REM restorative phase of sleep, which means you will wake up feeling a little bit tired and a little bit irritable, which means you probably snap at your wife or your husband or your kids, or you're a little bit late for work, or you don't make that additional phone call. And then you want a little bit of a pick-me-up. So you have a Gatorade or a Kit Kat or a croissant or whatever it is in the morning, just to give you a little bit of a pick-me-up. And then you have your lunch, and then you have a little crash in the afternoon, and then you go, God, I can't wait to get home and just have a glass of wine to relax, and the cycle continues. In actual fact, you're better off drinking alcohol for breakfast than you are anywhere close to bedtime because at least then your body will have 16 hours to break down all the toxins that you've just put into it before sleep. So this isn't an invitation to start drinking for breakfast. But this is how crazy it is that you're better off doing that than drinking anywhere close to bedtime. Not to mention from a vanity point of view, you do get better looking when you stop drinking alcohol because the toxins leave your skin. Your body's largest organ is your skin. I tell this to women all the time. You are crazy spending hundreds of dollars on Neutrogena moisturizer advertised by Jennifer Aniston and, and Cameron Diaz and all these kind of celebrities. Oh, let me put the cream on my face with the special thing. Just stop drinking alcohol and you will look a million dollars. The glow comes back to your skin. They did a study again out of the UK. The UK clearly does all the best studies that when people were drinking for seven days, just one or two seemingly innocent glasses of, of alcohol – the amount of crow's feet, visible crow's feet around the skin was so dramatically more apparent than if you just did not drink for seven days. They actually showed photos of people who'd had one drink a night for seven days and then showed photos of people who hadn't and to random people. And the question was, who do you find, which, which group of people do you find more attractive? They just found, they found the group who didn't drink to be more attractive. Wow. You're welcome. You're welcome, yeah, everyone. <laughs> to end this fascinating interview, I've just loved, loved chatting with you. You're such a great storyteller. Your chosen song was Humble and Kind by Tim McGraw. Why is that song significant to you? It really reminds me to just be not just a good man, but a good person and to stay humble and kind. And the song and the lyrics are all about remaining humble and kind in your life. And one of the one of the the verses I'll I'll read to you, it goes like this: Hold the door, say please, say thank you. Don't steal, don't cheat, and don't lie. I know you got mountains to climb, but always stay humble and kind. When the dreams you're dreaming come to you, when the work you put in is realized, let yourself feel the pride, but always stay humble and kind. When the dreams you're dreaming come to you When the work you put 
it's just a great reminder to me to just try to be the best person you can. You never know what people are going through. Stay humble, be kind, and your life will be infinitely more enjoyable. What beautiful words to finish on. I can't thank you enough. Where is the best place for people to find you and follow up on whether it's finding a pair of swannies for their blue light glasses, whether it's to engage more with you from a 30-day no-alcohol challenge perspective. I know you mentioned the website, which we'll put in the show notes, or whether it's just to ask you a question, where would be the best place? Well, if you'd like to ask me a question, you're welcome to send me a DM on Instagram. It's at James Swanick. The spelling of my last name is Swanwick, S-W-A-N-W-I-C-K. The Swannies Blue Light Blocking Glasses, you can go to swannicksleep.com or you can just type in Swannies or Swannick Sleep on Amazon and you'll find us there as well. If you're, you know, let's say in your late 30s, 40s, 50s and you really want to stop drinking or you need to stop drinking, then you're welcome to go to alcoholfreelifestyle.com. And then if you just want to do like a little challenge and just get a glimpse of what it feels like to be alcohol-free, you can always also go to alcoholfreelifestyle.com or you can go to 30daynoalcoholchallenge.com. Also, we do have a podcast uh, in Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, which is called Alcohol Free Lifestyle, where we uh, do episodes on how to reduce or stop drinking, plus some nutritional and mindset advice as well. Amazing. We'll put links to that. Thank you so much, James, for this deeply nourishing and inspiring hour. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed today, please hit subscribe and leave a comment because this helps the podcast so much. I'd be endlessly grateful if you wouldn't mind doing so. My mental health book, Happy Not Perfect, is available to order now. The book teaches you how to be a flexible thinker. A skill that helps you navigate any challenge that might come your way, helps you manage emotions, and helps you thrive to be the bendiest version of yourself. Until next time, I love hearing from you, so do shoot me a message on Instagram, send me a DM with any of your thoughts. Stay safe and well. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.